Welcome to Into Theology. I'm joined with Dr. Professor Ian Clary. And we're here and we're recording uh, after one year of doing this podcast. And for an entire year, we've only been in one book. And it's been John Calvin's Institute's worth it. Christian Religion. It has been worth it. And so that's what we want to talk about. We kind of want to do a little bit of reflection on John Calvin, our, our, under, our growth and knowing about him, things we like a lot, maybe things we're a little bit confused on or maybe dislike, whatever it is, we'll, we'll talk through it. So I thought I could start by this way, uh, Ian, like you've been reading Calvin with, with me now for a year and I think teaching on him too. What are some like yep. big picture observations or things that you've been kind of learning? Yeah, I think this is, is going to be a weird one. Um, when I think about, you know, sort of my interest in Calvin over the years, I've, I'm not a Calvin expert, but I mean, I read uh, enough of him primary source wise. I read enough of the secondary literature that I, you know, I feel like I can, I can teach on him and that's legitimate. Um, and that this is going to sound strange to say right off the bat. Um, what I've kind of come away from the most is is seeing that kind of this interesting balance in Calvin between like really profound insights on either like a text or a, a piece of theology and then other times where you're just like whoa he really missed it here <laughs> you know and that'll this will sound that sounds kind of stupid to say but I actually was encouraged by by that because you suddenly see like okay I mean he was I mean he was you know, and as, as David Goggins would say, an uncommon man amongst uncommon men, you know, and, uh, and what time yeah, did Calvin wake up in the morning? Oh, I mean, who, like if earlier than Goggins, that's the, the answer. I'm sure Calvin, if he's Calvin Goggins, then yeah, it was like two in the morning when he went to bed at like one fifty nine. <laughs> so, um, Calvin like, Goggins. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and probably not because Calvin was like, you know, uh, you know, had boils and horrible health and gallstones, you know, yeah, stuff, stuff like that, you know. Um, but it, it, what, it, what it was helpful was that, like, to see, like, he, you know, he had feet of clay. He was, you know, he, he had certain limitations. That, you know, we've pointed things out, like, um, you know, his lack of formal training in theology and, and that sort of thing. Um, but it, it, it's actually kind of, like, just deepened my interest and appreciation for him because he, he feels more human to me now having gone through, I mean, I've read through, I was part of a study group years ago in the institutes and I've read through it, but like reading through it, like you and I have, like there's, there's no greater uh, way of benefiting from a text than reading it and discussing it with another person. And so um, seeing, seeing Calvin through that in that light has just been really kind of like helpful. And the funny thing is, I think is we're now in book four, where I'm most excited about what Calvin says, like even the last lecture or the last uh, podcast that we did, like I was just like, wow, that was just so awesome. You know, like I just, I just so benefited from it. And, and really his, his, his doggedness in that he just really sticks to like Jesus Christ, you know, and, and you wouldn't want to argue necessarily that Christology is the center of his theology, but boy, is he very Christological but it's in a worshipful way. You know, it's not, it's not merely academic. It's, it's, it, there's a, there's a spiritual, mm. a strong spiritual component to the way he does his theology. I love it. I think it might've been Warfield who called Calvin a, a theologian of the spirit. Is that yep, right? It was Warfield, yeah. And um, I think it's probably for this reason that in his view of the sacraments, the Holy Spirit is the actor yeah. rather than sacrament itself by its sort of natural qualities bestowing grace or whatever it is yeah yeah i i would say that i had a probably a similar i'll put it this way so reading so i when i became a christian 
or maybe that's not accurate. When I was about 18, I used to read Calvin like every morning, kind of read through him. I don't, I'm not sure I understood him. You can see my old markings and all that kind of stuff. That's awesome. Um, but coming back to him now, uh, whatever this is, 14 or so years later, and I taught a class on the Reformation and on, I taught, you know, lectures on Calvin, all that kind of stuff. Yep. I finally kind of understand him. And it's similar to what you said. Like it's, he, he definitely a man of his times. Yeah. And so there were certain things like, I, I don't like his sternness at all. Like, per, like my, my personal bent. Right. Yeah. But then the more you learn about him and his times, uh, his sicknesses, the loss of his wife and child, uh, well, his child first and his wife, I guess, later in life. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, you learn about uh, the possibility of like war everywhere, the possibility yeah. of death everywhere how people mistreated him. like a lot of it a lot of kelvin makes sense and you're like okay well i think i would probably be stern too <laughs> you know right. it's not the case really, that he's just you're riddled wired. with kidney stones and boils your whole life you know yeah <laughs> so that kind of stuff really helps and then when you read him like just kind of reading him not as kelvin the kelvinist but as yeah. a great reform thinker who Yep. Yeah, maybe he wasn't formally trained, but in, in the Lord's providence, th then we also get the humanity, uh, the humanities type of theology, which is great. Yeah. Then we also get a guy a little bit later, like, I don't know, like a Zanchi or something, which is more the scholastic type of theology. And that's great, too. Yeah. They're both great. Yeah. And you don't have to say one is better than the other. They're just you, you think about this in terms of denominations, too. There's just different sorts of the way that the Lord's working in the world. And I think you see it with reformed theologians, too. So. I think for me, it's just kind of, kind of humanizing Calvin and then situating him as one good reformed theologian. Yep. Yeah. Melanchthon is good too. So is yeah. uh, Luther and they're different and that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely like the, you know, there, there's a reason why he has had such a stature in, in the, you know, the last 500 years of church history. You, you can see, you know, the, the conciseness with which he writes, he gets to the point. Um, which is always so helpful. His very just close readings of, of texts. He does have a good understanding of theology. You can probably hear a bunch of kids screaming upstairs. Sorry. <laughs> Writing about theology right now. One of them yeah, is like, no, I like, I like Vermeulen. My other nephew's like, no, 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 no it's Calvin. <laughs> um, but, but I like, I like Calvin in the sense too, that he can really be a theologian for everybody. You know, even yeah. just making that joke there. It's like, you know, like the, even when we were talking about last class or la, I keep saying lecture in class last podcast uh you know the way he would talk about luther and it's like i think if you're a lutheran you should read calvin with great benefit i think if you're an arminian or a wesleyan you should read calvin and you'll get great benefit you know yep. um and and his his deep appreciation for the christian tradition his respect for it um, you know, his use of the church fathers and the medievals, all those sorts of things are all really important for us, you know, to take away as, as readers of Calvin. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful for that. Yeah, that's one of the interesting. So, yeah, he's, he does demonstrate more than Luther, for sure. <laughs> the continuities. I mean, Luther obviously likes Augustine, but he has all these one liners that are these these sentences that are over the top with this yeah. continuity. I don't think Philip Melanchthon would agree, but no. Luther did. And, but, but Calvin kind of brings you back to, oh, well, there is this continuity. And we'll get to it, I guess, next time we record. But he, he really ties it to about 600. Yeah. Everything is basically okay, but it gets worse. Then after 600, it's this decline. And then you need reformation. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I remember reading, uh, going through a section in the Institutes with some of my uh, historical theology students. 
and they have a really good grounding. Our, our Megan DeVore, who uh, uh, teaches patristics at CCU, she's so good. And they, she gave him a really good grounding in the early church. And so it'd be funny when my students would be reading Calvin, one of their comments in the class would be like, oh, he just sounds like the Cappadocians. And I was like, exactly, because he loved them, you know? Yep. And uh, yeah, so... He sounds it's, it's like been... them, but, but with a 16th century idiom yeah. and all like, and, I th- yeah. and I think that's one of the problems is that like a lot of us, I think, read Calvin. Like put it this way, when I read him at 18, I could understand him basically, I'm sure. But I didn't get what was going on behind the scenes. I didn't get the theological battles he had and all that kind of stuff. So I think we have to we have to figure out how to translate him a little bit too. Like, so we have to translate like what is this theological idea, say, of union with Christ? Yeah. And how do we actually present that today? Because his idiom makes a lot of sense in the debates okay. he's having in whatever 1549. But for us, when we have different debates, like how do we share the same theology that he had and yet, I guess, contextualize it to make sense today? And I think that's one of the, but he, again, though, he does a good job of being simple. Like I would put it this way. If I, at 18, if I picked up Thomas Aquinas, I could not understand him. Yeah. Not not that I couldn't understand his sentences, but I couldn't understand the logic he's using. Yeah, the scholastic method. But if, if I picked up Calvin, I would get some of him. Yeah. And so there's something universal about Calvin, even though I think we have to be careful with that too, but there's something universal about his writing that's unique. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, and I mean, like, you know, because he's a great humanist thinker, he really understood the ancient world, you know, um, and he has like a pretty balanced approach to it, I think, you know, cause he can be very critical of Plato, you know, uh, he'll, we've noted over the, over the last year ways that he's would take a swipe at Plato yet at the same time has like a kind of like a, a good, a good use of, of, of Plato's, you know, kind of a thought, um, you know, thinking of things like even, you know, how many times we've noticed, Oh, look at the language of participation in the divine here and, and all these kinds of things like kind of a Neoplatonism maybe. Um, and uh, so what he does is he just, he's got all the richness of thought at his disposal and uh, and in a very careful way kind of brings it to bear on theology and on the text of scripture that's it and so i think it's I, so it's just it's encouraging it's like all the you know the readings that i had of calvin you know years ago kind of through that vantillian lens it just doesn't hold up when you read very when you read them so closely you're like oh come well, on guys like this is not calvin yeah. talking about. I, I think here's the problem is that calvin does not articulate this in like a preface somewhere but the context for him doing theology is reality. So it is scripture and reality yeah. in which scripture finds itself. So yeah, nature, whatever you want nature, to call it. Nature, he can read Cicero, Plato, all these guys, and he's strongly critical, but he's nonetheless reading them all thoroughly. So yeah. what is going on there in that reading? If he's if he's merely critical, why put all the time into it? Why mention them? And the, and the, the answer is, you can read something that you're critical with thoroughly and still learn. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, like I, we have a kind of a, a light switch in our brain that says if uh, Plato or Cicero or Seneca, or whatever, is mostly uh, mistaken here and there, no point in reading them. Right. You, you yeah. read any of the reformers, the post-reformers, the Puritans, they're reading Roman Catholic, some probably sometimes Orthodox, uh, philosophy, church, all this kind of stuff, because they know that the context of theology is reality. The context of scripture yeah. is reality. And Kelvin does too. So when you when you read him through, it's hard to even say a Vantillian because there's so many Vantillian like 
positions, but a Ventilian right. lens whereby like everything in nature is, is somehow viewed suspiciously. Yeah. Uh, Calvin's not like that at all. No. But he's, he's, he's a I mean, rational the whole, the whole Is it the whole first book? You know, yeah. God is as creator. It's all nature's natural law, yes. natural theology and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and, the, and the, it's, it is interesting. So he has these strong words, but then you read him in his full context and it's pretty obvious what he's doing. Yeah. The problem is if you live in the 21st century and you've read the sort of like, an, like the grace anti-nature kind of group, then you see these sentences from Calvin, you assume that he's agreeing with your position, but it's yeah. a position that had not existed at Calvin's yeah. time. And one which the reforms reform thinkers never affirmed. In fact, the, the more and more you read reform thinkers, the more you see actually that they fully affirm nature, natural law, laws of nature, light of nature. It's in the Westminster Confession, for example. But it's all throughout the writings to the point that the Belgic Confession, 1561, yeah. so there's two books, the Book of Nature and Book of Scripture. One's marked by being clearer than the other, but they're both revelation of God. Yeah. And uh, it, it's really, I think... I don't know when it started. I'm not keen on this area of history, but it's really, it's recent to us that we have this nature grace dichotomy. Yeah. We call it faith and science today, typically, but nature grace. Yeah. Um, Calvin didn't have that at all. No. Neither yeah, if, you wanna, if you want to get at the history of that, uh, Maybe there's a new, new book called, uh, I think it's called Flat Earths, foot, foot, Fake Footnotes and Flat Earths, I think it's hey, called. Man, let's, we believe in Flat Earth. Let's talk about this. Yeah. You, you should uh, you should get this guy on your uh, Heaven and Earth podcast. Okay. This is a guy named Derek Derek Peterson. His books just come out with um, uh, with Whippenstock, and uh, the he's a he's in that Davenant Institute sort of broad circle there. Okay. That book that'll help you like see the whole history of it all, and it's it's, it's meticulous. But you know, it's funny because I'm just you know thinking maybe even more broadly here than just Calvin, but just like our podcast more in general. Like I've I've been, I've just benefited from what we do in so many different ways beyond just like reading Calvin. Um, you know, I think that the for me the discipline of it. I mean, I've been the worst in terms of like I've gone for weeks where I couldn't do. You know, like once I'm in exams at the end of a semester, it's like forget it. I can't I can't do anything at that point. Um, you know, so I've had some of those. We've had a bit of gaps because of because of my schedule. But uh, you know, having this kind of regular discipline, it's like okay, Thursday's coming. I need to like read up on some Calvin here. I need to read in such a way that I'm going to be able to speak clearly about him to an audience that maybe has never read Calvin before. So we're not trying to be academic. We're not pulling all these secondary sources and being technical. We're just two guys trying to read for benefit. And uh, that's, that's been really helpful for me. Um, you have really good insights uh, on, on the texts that we're reading and pulling from other things that are kind of in your wheelhouse that I've learned a lot from and really benefited. Um, I really, I think of all the highlight of our podcast year so far for me was the, the thing, the very thing I kind of in the back of my mind didn't want to do when you first suggested it, yeah. which was doing Ecclesiastes and then Job. Yeah. You know, like, hey, let's just take a break, do Ecclesiastes. I'm like, okay, okay, we can do that. That'd be fun. You know, I'm, I'm pretty affable. I'll go with whatever. But in my mind, I was like, oh, shoot, this could be hard because I'm not really good with the Old Testament. Why it's got a PhD in Old Testament, you know? And uh, and then you're like, let's do Job. And I was like, oh, man, like that's going to be rough. And like both of those, like, it was it was one of those things where like my whole like view of my whole life changed in those six weeks. You know, it was like weird. It was like, good. Uh, you know, I was meeting with students and I'm like, you know, things you and I would talk about in a podcast. Next thing you know, I'm saying to a student who's struggling with things. And it was just like, 
between that and then starting to read Michael Heiser's work, like I feel like I went through a huge development in my theology in the last couple of months. So I'm super thankful to you for that. Well, yeah, I think because both of us have different things that we study or think about, I feel like. So then when we come, we, we can learn so much from each other because we're not overlapping. It's sort of a, yeah. an interdisciplinary podcast, if you want to put it that way. Yeah. So I, I mean, I can't, I, I would say I've been benefited throughout. Um, mine's a little different. It's, it's more like studying Calvin with you and then realizing, oh, Oh, I get that now. Like his union with yeah. Christ stuff, that the spirit yeah. stuff. And I, in my, cause I have, I guess I just, because of his sternness, I had a little bit of a negative, imp- even though I like Calvin, yeah. the more I read him, I'm like, oh, that's just dissipating. <laughs> it's yeah. like, oh, I like yeah. that a lot. And for me, it's almost been like, Adam, you know, just learning to actually appreciate Calvin for Calvin and you know, doing Job, Ecclesiastes, uh, they kind of tying it all together. If, reality or truth is the actual context for god's revelation like a lot of times we're when we do like academics or whatever it is it's it's almost like we're trying to like organize words on a page and all that's there is the page right it's just absolute nominalism it's just an organization of distinct entities in front of you but if you think about life whether it's philosophy theology bible reading whatever it is just to know what's true then it's pretty reasonable that we can actually just talk straightforwardly to one another yeah. And like not have to sound academic. And I think Kelvin does that as well. He's just trying to articulate what's true. Yeah. And I, I think that a lot of us, um, I don't know why. I think that's a subtle temptation is not to be like that. It's either if you go into academics, you're just in these different fields and you're just reorganizing words on a page to publish something. Yeah. And, or if you learn theology, it feels disconnected from the Bible or from life. But if you just think the single subject of all of this is, is, the, is the triune God in his works. I'm just trying to understand what's true. Like, yeah, does a soul exist? I just want to know. <laughs> right, does it? Exactly. And if it does, how does it impact me? You know, yeah. like, because I am, I am a soul body composite, you know, and like, yeah, I was even, <laughs> I was on a run this morning and I was thinking about just certain things just been like, you know, I've been dealing with just recently and just thinking about the relationship between my soul and my body. And, uh, you know, you get, and because Calvin ha- leans into that kind of stuff a little bit too at certain points, you know, and, and uh, it's it's informative. There's that that the kind of integration that that really understanding how reality works brings to everything. And Calvin's he is he's a really integrated theologian. If you want to think of it that way, he's an integrated he's a, theologian, he's a synthesizer, and, right. and so you, you see how he can do that so well. Yeah, so he's because he, he, he all the things are together. He doesn't have to feel like he needs to separate them like like we often do. And I, I don't know. I just think it's, it makes life much more interesting. You, you don't have to be an egghead to be a theologian. You just have to be yeah. someone who's interested in what's true. Yeah. And sometimes that is complicated. Like if you want to talk about triune persons, you got to be careful because yep. you make a mistake. But uh, it doesn't mean that it has to be this hard, convoluted sort of so-called academic exercise. And I think Calvin kind of proves that. Like it's, he's clear, orderly. He is a genius for sure, but he's also just writing at a regular language style yep. to communicate truth. And I think it's, I like Thomas Aquinas a lot, but I would say the average person can't really read him. Yeah. Or you yeah, can read you'd, him. You'd need, a, you'd need some sort of like an introduction. A guide. Yeah. Somebody to help you initially get it. And because, uh, yeah, I, I had a hard time with him initially too. Now, partly because I had those Van Tillian biases against him and things like that. Not that I don't want to bash Van Till. I mean, I still really appreciate the guy. Um, and and that, he's very formative for me at a certain point. But 
Yeah, uh, but you could you could give a the you know the Tony Lane condensed version of the Institutes uh, like I give to my students as a text, and they, you could go through that and you would really grow and benefit from it right. even if you didn't get everything that was going on in the page. Well, I would, but I would. So yeah, I think I think what we're saying is all right. But I would. The interesting thing for me is like I really had to study the the history of that time to fully yeah. appreciate. So there is something there still. You still you still need to figure out a little bit of history. Yeah, I'm I'm that way too. I can't. I yeah. typically if I really want to understand a person's writings, I have to read a biography of them yeah. first. You know, like to me, like that. It, it's that kind of what I've learned since what I'm doing is oh, it's that kind of Cambridge. That's school. insightful. What you just said by the way, you need what, you need to read a biography first. I, I would agree. I mean, if not a yeah. biography, an overview of someone's life. Something because it's like, why did he write this book? I don't know. Yeah, you know, it's like, oh, that's why he wrote. He's addressing cool. these issues. And let me give you one example. I think when I was talking with Crawford Gribben uh, the first time, Crawford's such a good guy. Uh, you know, I was talking about the death of death and the death of Christ. So the first two books I got when I was at least for like a committed Christian. <laughs> Was that the same. and charity and its fruit? And you know who gave it to me? Clint. <laughs> uh, what kind of psycho gives me those complicated books? Anyways, no, no. So I like Clint a lot. He's my he's my brother-in-law. If no one's listening, oh, he's one of my best friends, my mentor. Yeah. I'm so thankful for Clint. But the death of death and death of Christ is not the right book for me yeah. to read. And um, now the essay in there by J.I. Packer was the right thing. Absolutely to worth or, the price. This the one of the will. I can't remember. But no, no, whatever, no, yeah, it's, it's definitely that essay for the okay. death, 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 the banner group did, yeah. Um, but so, so with Crawford, when he mentioned that, like I found out, oh, well, this is actually one of his early books and he kind of changes his mind or at least his, his maybe not changes his mind, but it's not something that he Develops. necessarily like would. Any good theologian yeah. Mind, yeah. And you're like, oh, because I read that, like I read John Owen or read him before. It's like, this is just his theology in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. You're like, well, that's not it. And also, I mean, it may not be right. <laughs> Yeah, read Michael Lynch on, uh, on Hypothetical Universal. Yeah, I, I pod- was- it's not out yet, but I podcasted with him on Hypothetical Universal. Oh, good. Okay, cool. And uh, I guess this is just a side note. And I think, in fact, we can get into Calvin a little bit, but I think Calvin himself views the death of Christ as a fitting sacrifice and not a necessary one. Yeah. Although I'm sure you can argue about that. Anyways, all that to say, but going back to hypothetical universalism, just it makes better sense of scripture in my mind that there is a universality to the to the death of, of Christ. There's just too many passages that says, for God so loved the whole world, or God so loved the world. Yeah. It's not just some people, it just says the world. Yeah. Yeah. Or like he's the savior of all men, especially the elect. There's something there where God desires all people to, to uh, repent and have a full knowledge of the truth. Sure. There's something there. Yeah, of course. And uh, I, I don't know if John Owen in that book, I can't remember exactly what he argues, but I feel like he kind of excludes those things. You know, all doesn't always mean all and that kind of stuff. And you're like, I just don't know. Why do I have to make that decision? Yeah. Why can't I just simply say that whoever believes has the saving benefits applied to them? And that's what I know. Sure. Yeah. And how <laughs> do you do that? Well, you're the elect. So there's a limitedness to it because of well, there's a limited. Grounded, yeah. It's grounded in election in terms of the application of redemption. So it's still... I've argued this in a in an article I did. Uh, it's actually now in a chapter of a book on Andrew Fuller and the atonement. Mm. And it's like, it fits completely with, it is the synod of Dort, if you ask me, you know, the, but anyway, we're going far afield from Calvin here, but I'll say this, you know, I kind of chuckle sometimes, but I think, you know, just mentioning Clint there, because I remember way back when, when I first moved to Toronto, I moved in 2003. So I met him and your sister hung up. We were very close. Our, my wife and, and, and uh and me and then clinton crystal hung out all the time 
And I remember at one point we were at a prayer meeting. He's, oh, you you guys please pray for my brother Wyatt. He's kind of going off the rails and all this kind of stuff, you know? And I was like, okay, we'll pray for this kid. And then I was like, oh, you know, I remember at some point down the line, oh yeah, Wyatt, you know, he's, he's like, come back to the Lord. He's going to church and we're all like rejoicing and all this stuff. And then, oh, he's gone off to where you went to Liberty first and then masters Masters and Southern. I'm just always kind of hearing about you. And then with Facebook, I think we became friends. Yeah. And I remember every, every, it's a stupid thing to remember, but every Halloween, I would always post like right. a song Halloween by the Misfits. And then you'd always say something. And I was like, whoa, Wyatt likes the Misfits. This is cool. <laughs> that's, <laughs> then, literally, you know, you, that's all I knew about you is like, I like Misfits. He likes Misfits. <laughs> you know, and now it's like, oh, we've done this like pretty For decent a year. podcast, you know, like I, I, I'm, you know, I, as you know, I was, I was just interviewed for a Christianity Today podcast that'll come out in, in August and, uh, with a colleague of mine and uh you know it's like we we're just talking about content creation podcasting what goes into that and i just you know i thought i'm i'm you know we don't have a massive audience and things but we have a decent size of people subscribing and listening and it's like oh i'm i'm happy i'm kind of proud of what we do and i hope it's you know beneficial to to christians and chat and pastors and stuff like that and it's like if, if they're i've had people email me and and you know people out of the blue uh, saying things about something we said that in the podcast it was helpful or something I wrote and like wow like it's really encouraging you know and so I, that's where I see more of the right. benefit beyond the just me yeah yeah well one thing that's uh, a friend told me this and on reflection it makes a lot of sense um so origin of Alexandria he never really meant his teaching to be for everyone he's always discipling his local context yeah and they like a podcast like this like, yeah, you know, you're not going to have like 100,000 people download in a week or whatever. But if you're able to like help and benefit people in your kind of local context who are yeah. real people that you can interact with, who are kind of deepening in their faith, like that's kind of a big win. Even yeah. if it's relatively small when you think of like the total kingdom work. Yeah. It's like maybe that's the right way to do it. Um, it's sort of like you kind of dig deep with a smaller group. Yeah. And that smaller group can influence a bigger group who's not maybe not at the stage where they want to. Yeah. You know, so I, uh, anyways, it was just kind of helpful to me to think through that now, not that origin necessarily has to be the, the person you follow for this, but even in his Matthew origins, Matthew commentary, he talks about Jesus and how there's, there's like the kind of the, the crowds and the disciples, these kinds of, if I remember right, the, and basically the disciples are those you're pouring your, all of your, your kind of life into. And, but there's also a group of crowd that you'll, you'll teach sometimes too. So it's kind of like these two circles of influence that you might have. Yeah. And practically speaking, I mean, I think everyone, you kind of know that you have a few really close friends or f- close circles and uh, you can just think about how you influence people in different ways. So anyways, that's just a kind of a random thought that popped into my head. Yeah. So. No, it's a good thought though. I'm bummed out, man, because you're going to be in Alberta when yeah. I'll probably be back up in the Toronto area and we're going to get together, but it seems like, you know, you'll be hanging out with all the hurting Albertans out there and I'll be with the center of the world in Toronto, so... <laughs> We'll be crying Liberty, uh, Liberty and Stampede. That's cool. Give us freedom. Uh, I don't, yeah, it'd be interesting to see. I think, I think Alberta will separate before um, Quebec does Texas. in Canada. I you going to say Texas. <laughs> we'll, we'll jo- yeah, Alberta will join Texas and they'll, and they'll form their own country. Uh, yeah, that'd be hilarious. Create a pipeline. <laughs> I don't know how that would work. All right, and that was fun. Uh, so yeah, we'll, good, yeah, we're going to try to get next week again uh and we'll get back into kelvin's institutes and then i think afterwards we, we talked a little bit maybe about augustine so we'll, we'll yeah we'll we even mind doing another like biblical tax 
text or something. Yeah, we can imitate. That would be like a little bit of a break, go back into the Bible and then jump into confessions. It'd be awesome. We could do a purely allegorical reading of Song of Songs. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was so hesitant before the other ones. Maybe I need to do that too. Yeah. I don't know. I'll come <laughs> out and be like totally blown away. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, I do like the idea of sticking with wisdom literature. No, yeah, that's know? good. Yeah. Especially for this kind of, I mean, Proverbs would be kind of the way to go, probably. Yeah. Um, I, I would, I would recently, I was reading that to my kids at dinner time, and it's just like, it's just actually pretty practical. Yeah. Um, so anyways, Ian, friend, we'll hopefully see you. I guess we won't see you in person probably, but we'll talk to you no. next week. Bye. Sounds good, man.